Insider subscribers, podcast lovers, people who are just bored. My name is Jesse Crittenden, and I'm here to introduce a new podcast from OU Insider and the Rivals Network called Oklahoma Drill. I am alongside my co-host, Brian Clinton. Brian, do you have your pads ready to go one-on-one? I do, man. They're strapped on. Can't you see it? Like I'm ready to go right now. Let's do this thing. Did you play football in high school? I did. I did. What what position did you play? Uh, tight end, wide receiver. It doesn't look like it now, but I, <laughs> I could I could run back in the day. I could. That makes sense. I played fullback in eighth grade. I don't look like a full. Still don't look like a full. <laughs> didn't look like one then. I don't look like one now. Um. Anyways, Brian, you and I are here to for the first episode of the Oklahoma Drill. Uh, to talk all things Oklahoma football, to talk about the games, talk about the players, talk about the press conferences, talk about the media availabilities. That's what we're here for. And it's such an honor for our first episode to be joined by the co-publisher of OU Insider, who's typically running things. But today, he is a mere guest on our podcast, Brian. His name is Sir Parker Thune. Parker, how are you, sir? Well... I'm honored to be a part of the inaugural episode of the Oklahoma Drill. You know, we were brainstorming this uh, in the OU Insider staff group chat a couple weeks back, and we were thinking back. We were trying to come up with a name. We are thinking back to a YouTube series I had done once upon a time. This is going back probably a year and a half. And Spencer Forsyth, our director of production, and I were on the phone. We are going, man, like... Whatever became of the Oklahoma drill, that was a really good name for a series that didn't last all that long. That can that needs to be repurposed for this podcast. So uh, obviously very pleased to have both of you on the team at OUinsider.com and obviously very pleased uh, to see you guys launching this new podcast, which no doubt is going to give Oklahoma fans yet another outlet for insight, firsthand insight onto the team that they adore so devotedly. Yeah, absolutely. And Parker, I just want you to know that because you started the Oklahoma Drill name, Brian and I are here to carry on that legacy. And though you won't be on every episode, we'd like to think that you are with us every time we do an episode. Legacy! (laughs) (laughs) And I'll be collecting royalty checks, so. Ah, shoot. I forgot. Yeah, that's okay. I forgot about that part. We'll work that out. We'll work that out later. We'll work yeah. that out later. Um. Anyways, Brian, Uh. you know, like I said, you and I are going to be talking about, uh, you know, a lot of different things. We'll do this as a, as a weekly podcast, anywhere you can find your podcast, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube. Uh, you and I will be here to break down, you know, it's, it's a midweek, a midweek podcast. We'll break down the previous week's game. We'll talk about the upcoming game. We'll talk about everything this week. And so with that in mind, I'm going to introduce a new segment, which is not the official name as of now, 
but I'm copywriting it so no one can can copy it. Uh, we're going to call it Thursday Thoughts. And the idea is to talk about last weekend's game. And for OU, obviously, that was a 73-0 win over Arkansas State in the season opener. And Brian, I'll start with you. You were on the field. You and Parker were both on the field. Brian, I'll start with you. What was did you have a main takeaway from that game? You know, obviously it's it's a dominant performance by OU. I think that's most people expected OU to dominate, maybe not to that extent. But Brian, watching the game, uh, you told me you you went back and rewatched it. What was your main takeaway from the game? Well, there's not very many times where it's proper to use the word shellacking, but th- this was a shellacking. Absolutely. Uh, 73 to nothing, Oklahoma, they they exceeded expectations for that anybody had for them. But I think the one thing that really, you know, I caution people to take, t- don't take too much from this game. You know, it was Arkansas State. Uh, it was some a team that, you know, looked like maybe somebody that's going to be towards the bottom of, of the FBS, just, just in terms of how they performed. But one thing that I could take away from it uh, confidently was, Arkansas State had nothing to do with the intensity the intensity that Oklahoma showed up with. Uh, you you could choose to come out of the second half and not have the intensity, not protect that shutout that you've had, not to continue to you know it doesn't matter who was in the game. Um, good football teams mirror their their head coach, and I saw intensity and determination from everybody that that stepped it on that field, and uh, I think that you can take away from it that. Team 129 feels like Brent Venable's team. It just it felt different whenever they were out there. And so that was really the one thing that, that resonated with me. That's a good point when you mention that, because I think in, in Parker, and I, Parker, you and I have talked about this before. When we go back to last year where you look at the non-conference slate you know, with wins over UTEP and Kent State and Nebraska, I mean, those were those were wins that OU – I mean, those were games OU should win. But I think this was maybe the first time even – in the Brent Venables era that this, I I agree with you, Brian, this felt like a Brent Venables team. And I had said for a while that I thought this was a team that was eager to get on the field, like anxious to get on the field and prove that last year um, was a blip on the radar. Parker, you and I have talked about this game a couple of different times. So instead of asking you your takeaway, I'm going to throw a little bit of a, I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball at you. Um, just after a few days of that game, do you have what's maybe one unanswered thing, or maybe something you were expecting to happen that didn't happen, or maybe one thing that you're you're looking for, or you think the answer is still undetermined when it comes to this football team, whether it's a position group, either side of the ball, depth chart, anything like that. Yeah, well, this is far from a novel observation. I, I this is I'm not trying to confuse anybody with rocket science here and nobody will be taken aback by this answer. I don't think, but we don't really have a reliable gauge yet on how much more talented this team is than last year, because obviously it was Arkansas state. And there is something to be said for beating a team that soundly, but I can also see how in the course of an off season, and just to be clear, I don't think this is the case, but I can see how in the course of an off season, a team's mentality could shift enough that they could come out and hammer a team in week one simply by virtue of an expanded degree of confidence in themselves and confidence in the system. So I do think this team is more talented than they were a year ago. The question is how much more talented, and obviously we will get a better sense of how much more talented they are than they were in 2022 this weekend when a much tougher SMU team comes to Norman. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and kind of to build on that, you know, Parker, I'll start with you again. In terms of position groups, uh, you know, from Saturday, was there anything that surprised you in terms of maybe the way playing time shook out or maybe, you know, the order of, you know, who started, who came on the field, maybe something that you think is still very much a work in progress as we move forward through the season? Well, I'll tell you one thing that, and I, I think there were some personnel decisions that certain fans probably were scratching their heads at, but that makes sense, especially in retrospect, right? Austin Stogner didn't see a ton of run, but it's a shallow tight end room. You don't want to be putting him in harm's way in a meaningless football game. Uh, the same can be said for Gavin Sawchuk. They held out our Mason Thomas. So a, a lot of those decisions actually do make a lot of sense. The one that was easy to miss, but that I was very aware of in the moment, and probably just because I've covered the kid and got to know him and his family so well over the course of his recruitment process and now obviously on into his careers in Oklahoma sooner. But there was a point in the second quarter where Caden Green entered the game and was working with the first team at left tackle. It was still, for the most part, all the first teamers out on the field offensively for Oklahoma, except for Caden Green who was taking first team reps at left tackle in place of Tyler Guyton. So, or I'm sorry, Tyler Guyton, Walter Rouse, I can't recall, but either way, uh, you had Caden green, a true freshman in the game with the first team. And I think that can be interpreted as nothing else than a major vote of confidence in that kid and where he's headed and a belief that, okay, you know what? If, injury were to befall Rouse or Guyton or heck even one of the interior guys Caden Green given his versatility given the fact that he's played inside and outside uh, over the course of his football career and has proven that he can hold his own at both top 100 recruit last year top 15 offensive lineman might have been top 10 offensive lineman now that I think about it any way you slice it that's a guy that it's quite clear the Oklahoma staff has a lot of trust in and a lot of belief that even if he is only playing a sporadic role in 2023, 2024 is going to be the year where he really inserts himself into the fray as a rock solid contributor and likely starter for this offensive line. I really like that observation. That's something you and I hadn't talked about. And I think it tracks with everything we saw in the spring. And obviously there were some injuries that gave way to Caden green, but in the spring, He's taken first snap or he's taken first team reps in the spring. And I think they liked what they saw from him. Brian, I'll, I'll ask you the same thing. Was there a position group that was particularly interesting to you, maybe in terms of productivity on the field or the way playing time was dispersed or maybe the stat sheet, anything like that? I think I came into the game more curious than anything as to how the the wide receiver room would play out because we heard all kinds of things during the spring and and obviously we've heard some concerns from the from the fan base over the off season how things would look and then as we broke into summer and and fall camp we started to hear that these names were emerging you know guys like Nick Anderson were starting to really come into their own and and guys like Jaden Gibson were starting to build some confidence well then you go out on the field and, and you see Andrew Anthony become this field stretching type of wide receiver that you really expected. And, and you saw guys like Jaden Gibson making contestant catches and, and Nick Anderson having a long ball down the, down the sidelines. And it, it really just opened up for me 
just how deep this room could be and 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 what Emmett Jones really inherited. Um, and I, I'm really excited about what they've got there. And that goes without even mentioning somebody who perhaps had the best game of anybody, and, and that's Gavin Freeman. I mean, just the, the intangibles that that guy brings, not just as a wide receiver, but as a special teams player. Uh, I think that this room is really, really deep, and it's it, I, I have a hard time believing that secondaries – you know, let alone in the non-conference, but in the Big 12 are, are going to have an easy time uh, keeping those guys covered in space because if if Dylan Gabriel is able to distribute the ball the way that he did uh, against Arkansas State, um, if he's able to do that consistently, there's plenty of names in the room that are going to be able to make this uh, make this offense really hum this year. Well, I like that pick, and not to mention Jaquay's Padaway, who caught nine passes, led the team in receptions. <laughs> I think, again, adding to the idea that he can have a big role. Um, just to throw my two cents out there for a second. I am more confused about running back now than I was coming into the season. Now, Parker, you and I have talked about it a ton. Um, still think Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuck are going to be the leaders of this group. Uh, um Gavin Sawchuk didn't even play on Saturday. He will play, or you know, presumably he will play. He'll be available against SMU. But it was so interesting to see Tawi Walker on the field as a starter, but he didn't get as many carries as Marcus Major or Javante Barnes, but he ran more efficiently than both of them. So I, I do think, and with Jeff, Jeff Levy's comments about going with the hot hand at running back, I do think they, this running back room really is in flux, and I think they're going to give an opportunity to a bunch of different guys to see who makes an impact. Segwaying from all of that, let's move into a, se- a segment that is unofficially being called What's Happening Now, which Ooh. means, you know, we've got coaches that, you know, Jeff Levy and, and Ted Roof meet with the media on Monday. Brent Ven- Brent Venables meets with the media on Tuesday. We get players on Monday and Tuesday night. Uh, there's been things that have happened since Saturday. Parker, I'll start with you. Is there maybe uh, is there anything that particularly caught your eye from the coaches' press conferences, or maybe uh, either the player availabilities, uh, something somebody said, or a good moment, an interesting moment? What stood out to you? I think honestly, more so than anything, it's something that you just kind of touched on right there, which is the backfield committee and how uh, Jeff Levy is going to approach that. And I, I was actually the one that asked him the question because I was, you know, I'm curious. Naturally, we expect Gavin Sawchuk and Javante Barnes to get the lion's share of the touches, but Tawi Walker had a real good game week one. Uh, Marcus Major was listed as a co-starter. You have Caleb Hicks and Dalen Smothers, both of whom saw substantial carries. And so uh, in the long run, I still think it's Sawchuk and Barnes, Sawchuk and Barnes for the most part. But I, I wanted to know from Jeff Levy, okay, with so many guys that already saw the field in week one and so many guys that have proven, and this goes back to last season and in Major's case, further back than last season, when you got so many guys that have proven, they can tote the rock at a high yards per carry clip against solid defensive fronts. How do you manage the workload between them? And Levy said, look, we're going we're gonna to ride the hot hand. And... I guess what I'm curious about, and that's that wasn't a shocking answer to get from Levy, but I think what I'm most curious about now is, well, how do you quantify who has the hot hand, and how, you know, how long do you ride the hot hand before you give somebody else a chance to, somebody a chance for their hand to get hot, right? So, uh, there there are far worse problems to have than a surplus of talent, but Demarco Murray definitely has that in the running back room right now. And 
I wonder if we see a little bit more variegated of a share of the snaps between these running backs than what we anticipated coming into the season, which is okay, probably 40% to Barnes, 40% to Sawchuck and everybody else gets 20% of the share. I, I wonder if it's a little more evenly split than that amongst three or four backs. So yeah, to me, that's one of the biggest storylines coming out of week one is just how many guys carried the football and week two and onward. My question is, okay, who is the early favorite to get those carries when you have to establish a hierarchy in the backfield and how solid is that hierarchy over the course of the season? And that's a really good point because, again, Todd, if you're looking at efficiency from the running back room, you know who the most efficient running back was on against Arkansas State? It was Tawi Walker. Eight carries, 44 yards, two touchdowns. I think it was 5.5 yards per carry. Javante Barnes got the most carries of any running back and was not particularly efficient. I think 13 carries, 49 yards. Uh, Marcus Major wasn't particularly good either. So, yeah, I think that's a good point about what does the hot hand look like? Because technically, if you were wanting to ride the hot hand against Arkansas State, it would have been Tawi Walker. And again, Gavin Sawchuck didn't play on Saturday. So that's that's another body who should have touches, who is talented. How do you incorporate him? I think that's a, a really interesting point. I'll I'll turn it back to you, uh, Brian. I know, uh, you know, same thing, but you know, I know you've written about a couple of different things. You wrote about uh you wrote about Jaron Canick and Danny Stutzman. Uh, at OUinsider.com, I think on Wednesday, um, whether it's that or what, maybe it's something Venables said or, or, or another player or the, or the coordinators, what, what caught your eye this week? Well, just to hit on that, um, that point, you know, it feels like a long time since we've had two guys in the, in the back seven for, for Oklahoma that you really get excited about, especially at the linebacker position, but I think that Jaron Canick came in was immediately a fan favorite. And then obviously Danny Stutzman's been somebody that the fans have, have really uh, gravitated towards since he, he came on campus, but I'm really excited just to see those two, uh, you know, have some chemistry on the field. We know about the chemistry off the field. We've seen it in, in the, in the Instagram live stories or the, the, the shorts that they do on, for Twitter and things. And we see them kind of, uh, you know, be able to interact off the field, but to see them, really share uh, that that middle part of the field together is just something I'm excited about. Um, and as far as some things that I heard from the coaching staff, I think the one thing that stood out to me is is just the, you know, and I don't think this was just coach talk, but the, the respect that the coaching staff seems to have for SMU coming into this game. Um, I'm really excited about this test for, for the Sooners because I do believe, you know, um, my opinion on, on SMU is I think this is a team that could that could definitely win the American and, and is a, a real contender to win double-digit games this year. Um, there's high expectations there, especially with Cincinnati and UCF and, and Houston being no longer in the American. Um, I, I was really intrigued by what Venables had to say and, and about how impressed he was with them, particularly at the line of scrimmage. And so – um, I just think it's a really good test for Oklahoma, and I'm, and I'm excited to kind of get into that and break down what SMU's bringing in this, this week. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. Um, and yeah, I think obviously for anybody listening, if you want to go read um, what Brian wrote about uh, Danny Stutzman and Jaron Canick, you can go over to OUinsider.com. I'm going to throw out here, uh, maybe not something that's as, as deep of analysis as either of you guys offered, but Walter Rouse is making an early push for uh, the Media Cooperation Award for you, for, <laughs> for people that don't know, though you be every year uh, votes on a top three for media cooperation. That either means they were made available to the media a lot, or they were very cordial, respectful. They were, you know, they were great interviews. They gave interesting answers. Uh, Walter Rouse is making a push for that. Uh, Kenai Walker is making a push for that. I think uh, Walter Rouse and Kenai Walker were my favorite two players to talk to uh, this week. Uh, Parker, do you, do you have a, a, a player that's, that's making an early push for that? Ooh, I mean, Walter Rouse is the easy choice, but I really, and we've only gotten to talk to him a couple times, but Jackson Arnold's a great interview. Heck, Peyton Bowen's a great interview. I don't know. Peyton like, Bowen is a great interview. They just must, I guess they prep these guys really well for handling the media at the next level down at Denton Geyer High School, but both Arnold and Bowen in the few sessions we've had with those guys, they have been money. It, it, they really have Peyton Bowen, especially as a freshman uh, Peyton Bowen has been, I mean, every, every time we've talked to him, he's, he's descriptive, he's engaging, he's interested. Like it's, you just don't always get that, um, you know, with everybody. I think it has been interesting. Uh, he a threw very out quick some bulletin la- board material yesterday, man. Well, wait, said, remind S- me. What, SMU what you ain't seen anybody like the OU defense. <laughs> did you catch that at the very end? I did. I forget. Yes, I did. Like catch they're that. in for a shock. Like okay, Peyton, talk Man, that talk. Game, game two is a freshman. That boy ain't afraid. <laughs> Which, and he, I mean, you you've known him. I know that's not surprising, but that's that's his mindset. Is that he's, not a perfect encapsulation of his mindset? Well, he's just got a very offhanded swagger about him. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he's not macho. He doesn't really carry himself like he's menacing but it's just kind of that quiet very level confidence that he's got and you know he's he's good enough to back it up he is that's that's true when you play like he did on saturday that was a really good debut there's so much i mean you can't it's it's impossible to highlight everybody but peyton bowen folks gonna have a big role on this football team in 2023 let's move on to the final segment of the uh evening and again, this is all unofficial, but still trademarked. So don't don't copy it. Uh, this is called Saturday Synopsis, where we are going to take a look at OU's opponent. For so- do you like that, Parker? Throwing a little <laughs> vocab word at us. I love it. Come on now. I'm a journalist. I'm a journalist. Have have to. I went to Northeastern State University. They use big words in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Heck yeah, baby, Riverhawks. <laughs> That's right. That's the kind of education we get at the Illinois River. Um, but Saturday synopsis. This is when we're gonna we're gonna take the time to look at OU's upcoming opponent, um, and and discuss that matchup. What we expect. Obviously, OU's opponent on Saturday is SMU, the SMU Mustangs. Um, just some quick stats from Week One. They beat Louisiana Tech thirty-eight to fourteen. Uh, on Saturday, Preston Stone was pretty impressive. Uh, 
at quarterback, threw for 248 yards, three touchdowns, 62% completion percentage. Um, we know this is an SMU team that was really explosive la- a year ago. And even though the coaching staff's a little bit different, the personnel's a little bit different, um, they've got a lot of transfers, and they've still got a lot of talent that can – uh, you know, that, that are talented, but, you know, having said that OU is still more than a two touchdown favorite uh, at Owen field on Saturday, that kickoffs at five o'clock. Um, I believe on ESPN plus Brian, I'll start with you. And you touched on it just a little bit ago. How much of a threat is SMU? And now like you can approach this a couple of different ways, whether that's SMU maybe gives OU a, a quick scare, but OU eventually pulls away or you can look at it as, is there a chance if OU is not prepared? Now, OU has the talent advantage, but if OU is not prepared, how much of a chance is there for SMU to come into Owen Field and, and shock the Sooners? Is that possible? I would say after what we watched happen last season, uh, if if Oklahoma comes into this game unprepared whatsoever, I think SMU is plenty good enough to, to push them uh, maybe even further than a scare. Um I believe that this SMU offense is going to be one of the one of the best that Oklahoma sees all season. Um, you know, minus Texas, perhaps TCU, um, and what we saw from Ray Jones with, with Cincinnati the other day. That that's a that's a concern as well. But but SMU has they have the guys. Uh, you know, the, LJ Johnson's not just somebody that that you're not familiar with. If, if you follow Oklahoma recruiting, you're, you're familiar with Jordan Hudson. If you, if you follow Oklahoma recruiting, these are guys that Oklahoma wanted uh, and not to mention Kamar Wheaton didn't play in week one. And he is on that roster as well. Now I hate to be the guy to bring that name up, but uh, he is there and he's a guy that, that they expect to be available. Um, you know, this is a team that has really good experience along the line of scrimmage, both offensive and defensive line. Uh, Elijah Rogers is a guy that, that, that SMU is, is really, or Roberts, Elijah Roberts is a guy that SMU is really, really likes at the defensive end position. And, um, you know, there are certainly some pieces there that, that could give Oklahoma fits if, if they don't come into this game prepared. So, uh, I'd be really, really interested to see how, how Oklahoma matches up with these guys. No, I think that's fair. And Brian, you and I have a have an OU Insider Roundtable that publishes on Thursday. And, you know, we kind of we touched on this a little bit in that. And I think what I said was there's a middle ground between these two things. SMU is certainly going to upset OU and SMU has no chance. There's a middle ground between these two things. I expect OU to win. I think they can even win comfortably. Um, maybe they even should win comfortably. But I do agree that this SMU team is talented enough that OU doesn't. If OU doesn't come in prepared, SMU is going to give them a challenge. Now, Parker, you and I have talked about this um, before on Quick Slants um, a couple of different times. But so I'm going to throw sort of a similar question at you uh, about how much of a threat SMU is, but with the caveat of. Maybe what's the biggest area of concern for OU coming into the game? Maybe what's the area that if SMU, not even beats OU, but if SMU really gives OU a game, it's because, oh, this position group really struggled well, against OU. I think in that regard, you have, to, you have to think about what, have, what has been a great equalizer for Oklahoma against talent inferior opponents in the past. And there are two things that instantly spring to mind for me. One, a mobile quarterback, which SMU has in Preston Stone. And two, one elite wide receiver, which do we know if Jordan Hudson is that guy? Not necessarily, but that that is a player that by at least 
one recruiting service was ranked as a five-star coming out of high school. So he can play some ball. Now, to me, I think this is going to, at least from where I stand, put a lot of scrutiny on Oklahoma's pass rush, for one thing, keeping Preston Stone under duress. Again, we didn't really get the chance to gauge how much progress Oklahoma has made in that department last week against Arkansas State. We're also going to have to see how effective Oklahoma is at containing Preston Stone when he gets outside the pocket. It's not just about pressure. It's about containment with a guy like that. And as far as Jordan Hudson is concerned, when Woody Washington has been healthy, and you really got to go all the way back to 2020 to find the last time he was a legit 100%. When he's been completely healthy, he's been one of the best cover cornerbacks in the Big 12, but it's been so long since we saw a fully healthy Woody Washington that you're almost unsure whether he is or can be the same guy that he was three years ago. So to me, where it starts for Oklahoma defensively on Saturday is coping with the threat that Preston Stone presents, especially with his legs and his ability to get outside the pocket and also having that guy. And I think Woody Washington is that guy above anybody else in the Oklahoma cornerback stable that can lock down an elite wide receiver or even an above average wide receiver, right? Because I think back to games like TCU in 2021 where Oklahoma won that game comfortably, but there was nobody on OU's roster that could contain Quentin Johnston. He went for over 200 yards and three touchdowns in that game. So that continually has been an issue for Oklahoma. If you get a wide receiver that is really, really gifted on the opposing sideline, the Oklahoma secondary historically hasn't had that dude that can match up and lock that guy down. And I think if anybody's got that potential in 2023, it's Woody as a fifth year senior, but we will get a gauge on just how good and just how effective he is in that role on Saturday when he presumably is matched up against Jordan Hudson. I, I like that. And it kind of Parker is a quick follow-up along those lines. Now I think, I think all three of us would probably agree that, SMU is capable of presenting a challenge, but this is still a game Oklahoma should win at least somewhat comfortably. But when it comes to that secondary, and we talk about we've talked about the safety position um, with all the guys there, and then the crowded cornerback room with Gentry Williams and Kenai Walker and Makari Vickers, Josiah Wagner, Kendall Dolby. Even if they face tougher competition later in the year, even if that's possible, is this a good? Is this going to be a good indication in terms of how the coaching staff looks at both the cornerback and safety rooms? how that playing time is dispersed or maybe how good room is in general. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be a case throughout non-conference play guys that make the most of their opportunities are going to get more opportunities down the road. And especially when Texas, uh, especially when you get that matchup with Texas in the cotton bowl, first weekend of October, you're going to have to have things figured out on defense because that is the most talented football team you're going to play all year, at least in the regular season. And so you're going to have to have a rock solid idea at that point of which guys have set themselves apart from the rest and which guys give you the best chance to win. So that is, I think something that uh, it, it, it was great to see Oklahoma play 87 different guys against Arkansas state, but SMU and then Tulsa and even Cincinnati and Iowa state to a certain extent, the margin in that game, the margin for error is going to get smaller and smaller as you get closer to Texas. So I think we're going to continually see over the next few weeks, 
which guys the coaching staff actually has faith in, because those are the guys that will not see their snaps dry up. Right. Yeah. 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 I absolutely, I agree with you, uh, Brian, we're going to, we're going to turn this into prediction time. So that's, that's one thing we're going to do on this podcast. We're going to put ourselves out there. Okay. We're, we're willing to take the heat. For one, I think I'm going to be right every single time I predict a score. I'm going to be right. But in the rare chance I'm not or Brian's not, we're we're willing to face the heat. It's the Oklahoma drill. We line up one-on-one against anybody. Brian, in addition to – so actually, at first, give me what you're going to be watching for the most. What's one thing you're going to be watching for? And then give me a prediction, a score prediction. Before I do that, I have to say, I, and I'm still on a page out of Josh Pate's book here, but if I make a prediction and it doesn't go right, it's because a kid screwed it up, a coach screwed it up, or an official <laughs> screwed it up. So <laughs> uh, anyhow, I like that. I like that. Um, so uh, as far as, as how I feel about things, I, I, I do believe Oklahoma should win this game comfortably. Uh, you know, this is this is if you are a Big 12 contender, whichever which we believe Oklahoma is at this point in time. Um, this is a game that you should win comfortably. And I think that, that what I'm going to go with here, I'm going to go, I'm going to go 51, 51, 23 is what I'll go. And, and I know that 23 points probably seems like a lot, but we're looking at, I believe that that might be a score that gets tacked on late. I think, I think Oklahoma is going to really do a good job in, 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 um, containing Preston, uh, Preston Stone, and I think that they'll do a good job in keeping some of those points off the board until maybe later on in the game when you see some of those depth pieces getting some good experience. So I'm going to go 51-23 centers. 51-23, okay, all right. So they are not they not only cover the spread, they almost double the spread. I like it. I like it. Parker, your turn. Score prediction and how much stock should OU fans – put into this game regardless regardless of the result yeah i think you'll be able to draw some conclusions i think the jury will still be out on some things undoubtedly uh much like the arkansas state game there will be a few things we will learn and a few things we simply can't learn my score is actually in the same ballpark as brian's i got 48 24 oklahoma over smu and i agree that i think uh smu puts up more points towards the latter half of the game than in the in the first half, I think that game probably is a little bit more lopsided than it looks in the scorebook. Uh, I do expect the Sooners to handle their business on Saturday and win that game in controlling fashion. All right. So 51-23, Brian Parker, 48-24. I'm going to go one step kind of farther. I'm going to say OU 48, SMU 31. I think this is, I think this is a game, not that OU isn't better not that OU isn't more talented or even that a 17 there's nothing wrong with a 17 point win but I do think this is still an opportunity for this coaching staff to play a lot of different guys now I don't think OU is going to play with their food but I do think this is an opportunity for OU to play a lot of guys on both sides of the ball and as a as a result maybe this is a game that looks a little bit closer at halftime than some fans think it think it should be but in the second half OU eventually takes it and wins semi-comfortably. That is what my prediction is. So I think that is going to wrap up things for us at the Oklahoma drill. Uh, 
you can find us uh, every week, every Thursday at Spotify, Apple Music, or the YouTube channel at OUinsider.com. Please hit that subscribe button. You're going to get all kinds of content from me and Brian, me and Parker, Parker and Brandon Drum, all of us, everything about OU football. That is what you're going to find there. Or you can go over to OUinsider.com, become a VIP. You're, you'll get so many things there. But in the meantime, this is the Oklahoma Drill. You'll find me and Brandon or me and Brian here every single week breaking down all things OU. For all three of us here, have a good night, Sooner Nation. <laughs>